Welcome to another episode of High Output AI, where Elliot and Tom discuss all the tools and techniques that make AI happen. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 37 of High Output AI. Elliot, how are you, mate? I'm doing pretty darn well. How are you, Tom? I'm wonderful. I've gone for the healthy option today. Instead of a beer, I've got a matcha tea. Ooh, matcha tea. I'm getting like a million ads on YouTube for this yerba mate stuff. Do you yeah. do you get those ads? Too? I, don't. I don't even know what it is. It's some sort of tea thing. But it's the like South American drink, right? Looks like it. I don't know. Um, I just have water because i got to go for a run after this and did not feel like doing that with a beer. Yeah. Well, shall we jump into it, mate, after we've welcomed all our new subscribers and talked a little bit about the the episode, the new episode format we're going to give you a go today? Yeah, 100%, 100%. As Tom said, welcome to everybody who's new to the show. Hope you're enjoying it here. If you found this because you were searching for a hot topic and our new format is paying off, then uh, let us know by subscribing and liking and leaving comments and all that. Um, but yeah, look, as Tom hinted at, we're... We're trying something slightly different, and this uh, I saw originally from Cal Newport. He used to do just a collection of stuff that came up that week in his Q&A uh, and then found that by picking a specific topic, making the episode focused around that topic and uh, keeping it all cohesive, whether it be the dial-ins or articles that he read that week, etc., uh, it was a lot easier for people to share the show when people asked about stuff uh, and search for episodes of the show without having to remember, oh, was it episode 28 or 32 where they talked about that? So on that note, we're going to try the same thing. Each episode from now on will still contain relevant news, papers and deals, uh, but it'll be focused around a theme. And that way, if you're uh, listening to the show and you've got friends that are keen on this topic, you can send along. Uh, And if you think, what episode was that where they talked about foundation models, Uh, it'll be right there in the title and you'll know where to look. And uh, I may have just given away the topic (laughs) for today, but that's okay because we're in the midst of it. Today's topic is, are foundation models the future of artificial intelligence? Um, and I will add that the, we will be choosing our topics based off both the Q&A and the Discord, so please join that, come along for the conversation, but also as well what's in the news at the time of recording. And we've had a little bit of a big week here as well, and we'll jump into the news as well with uh, Meta releasing their Segment Anything model and Amazon releasing some uh, news around their AWS service as well and also their uh, one a few of their foundation models so that's what we're going to jump into this week and what we're going to kind of talk about is first off is what is a foundation model we're going to run through a few examples including the news ones that i just mentioned and then we'll turn our little telescope towards the future and have a look into the future and what get some elliot and tom hot takes of what we think the foundation models will look like and whether they will continue forward into the and whether they'll still be a thing Mm-hmm. 100% more hot takes in this new format. You yep. can rest assured. So, man, look, diving right in, I think up front, as we've listed, it's probably important that we talk about what the hell a foundation model even is. Yep. Um, I don't think there's a set definition. I see a lot of stuff being thrown around, but I think 
before we get into the specifics, it's about models that underpin other models. Yep. It's the same way that your operating system is the foundation of your computing environment. These models are meant to be underneath everything else, and then you build on top of them. Yeah, and I, I see, I see these models as almost direct link with the with the original data. That's that's how I consider them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you know, number one aspect of a foundation model in my mind is that it's trained. Yeah. It's not an open source repository of code that you can go and train yourself. It has been trained on a large for its class data set. I'd yeah. say that is point number one. Uh, number two, I would say, and these are my opinion, but I think they work enough for this discussion, is you need to be able to build on top of it. And I think this is where the first little bit of contention comes in across the industry is that to me, for it to be a foundation model, you need to be able to hack on top of it. And I'm not sure, and we'll talk about this a bit later in the show, whether having an API to call your model and get the results counts as being able to hack on top of it. Mm. Can you dig into that a little bit more for me? As what, why, why do you see that the openness of the model is important? So I'm okay with models having APIs, don't get me wrong. But I think if you're going to call yourself a foundation model and paint this picture of this will underpin everything going forward in the space of AI, you need to be able to hack on it. And you can build products on top of APIs, no doubt. Uh, but to build new models, so as a foundational model from which other models will come forward, it needs to be more open than just having an API. So we need the data, we need the weights, and we need the code itself, in my mind, yep. to be a true foundation AI model. Now, you could have a foundation AI API if you want to talk that way, but I think some of these companies are positioning things as foundational, as sort of a jumping on the bandwagon of open source community spirit without really being all that open and accessible. Mm. So, sorry I interrupted you there, but you had your first two points, which is is a trained model. The second yep. one is that you can hack on top of it. What are your other characteristics of a foundation model? So I think it needs to be very broadly applicable. I think, you know, we look at large language models, we look at the segment anything, we look at image generation models. They're not industry specific. They're very broad base. They can be used in a number of different use cases and importantly refined down after they've been trained. We'll probably see, you know, let's call these models layer one. We'll probably see a bunch of layer two models, mm. which are the medical application, the automated driving application, the image editing applications on top of these models. I don't think those are necessarily foundation models. The foundation models to me are trained on as broad a corpus as possible to give them wide applicability, even if they're not great at a very specific task. Hmm. I think we disagree on this point a little bit, but I won't steal our thunder from a robust discussion coming in the future of the foundation models. But So any you've got your three characteristics there, um, which is kind of industry slash vertical agnostic um, as your third. Any, any more characteristics that you all like even... Those seem to be pretty uh, inclusive, those three. Are there any other kind of characteristics that you would look for before you classified something as foundation? 
No, I'd say given where we are at the minute, like that's probably as as specific as I would want to go. Um, I think, you know, we can use this now as a way to take some examples and rule things in and out. So yep. if we look at, you know, some of the GPT-4, for example, massive model, it ticks the box of it's trained. Yep. It ticks the box that it's broadly applicable. But given that you can't get access to all the underlying code and the weights, probably doesn't tick that box. Mm. It has an API, so it's something else, something we don't yet have a word for. But I well, think it's just compared an influential, to, important model, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think this is going to differ a lot depending on who you are. If you're a dev, you know, foundation is going to mean being able to hack on top of it. If you're product using this within the scope of an application rather than building more AI, maybe foundation means something different to you. But I think for the purposes of this, GPT-4 is certainly foundational, but not quite in the same way that I think some of these other models, let's say Stable Diffusion, yep. which released its code and its weights were, you saw how many things spawned out of that little seed of Stable Diffusion uh, very, very quickly because of its openness. And that, I think, is the key to me about being foundational. And if you think back historically as well to, you know, the when we were just kicking, when this space was reheating, can you think of any from that from that era as well, foundational models, especially around like what Google's released and DeepMind's released? I think some back in the day you could get pre-trained sort of YOLO image detectors, yeah. which were similar. Some you, of the, only, you only learn... Uh, only look once. Look once, look once. Yeah, it was meant to be a really fast implementation at uh, object detection. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the GAN models probably had trained examples. You know, going way, way back, if we look at some of the image embeddings, uh, sorry, the text embeddings that powered a lot of these early text models, uh, a lot of those were open sourced. And we weren't even talking in terms of foundational models back then, but a lot of models built on those you know, quite broadly trained text embeddings back in the day. Hmm. Well, let's switch gears now to like a very recent example and the news and kind of what really spawned this topic this week, which is Meta releasing the segment anything model. And it ticks it. And now if we think about the characteristics that you just talked about, where it's trained, ticks that mm -hmm. box. It is open. You can hack on top of it. Very true. They released all the code and all the weights. And then the third... Uh, I've forgotten which one. Oh, industry agnostic. Yep. And yep. that absolutely ticks the box there as well. It literally says it in the name that it is agnostic to it can do anything. So, yeah. You want to give us a little background on, on Meta's release this week? For sure. So, Sam, Segment Anything Model, came out uh, this week from the Meta AI team, and it is segmentation. And importantly here, I think... For those less familiar with the world of segmentation, it's not semantic segmentation. And what that means is if you give it a little prompt, which is, hey, where I clicked, can you just grab everything that is in the same object as what I clicked on? It can do that pretty well. It has no idea, though, what you just clicked on. So to give an example here, imagine... As you'll see in the demo, uh, there's a link in the show notes if you want to try this out, uh, a picture of a corgi running through a field of grass. Now, this segment anything model, if you were to click on that corgi, which is the prompt in this case, or draw a box around it, uh, it would do a really good job of isolating all the pixels that belong to that corgi. Uh, 
But what it doesn't do is have any idea what a corgi is. It knows how to find images, uh, find objects in images, group things together that look similar and feel like they belong to the same thing. Uh, but it's not necessarily, you know, a dog detector per se. Yeah. And it's uh, fantastic to watch some of these demo videos as well. It's very smart at being able to, if you look at RoboFlow, which was something we'll mention a little bit later on as well, where interacting with segmenting things, you can very quickly click in and click out things. So if you click on the eye, it might do the whole face, but then you say you don't want the chin and stuff, and then you click on the other eye, and it'll very quickly identify that you're looking for the eyes, not the face. It's but as you said, it doesn't know that it's looking at eyes. It's segmented and masked that piece for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And look, as a foundational model, and I think this is a good example of why these are important. You could build a semantic version on top of this. Uh, one of the things that's addressed in the paper, but isn't in the demo just yet, is using text as a prompt. Uh, so you, mm, that's you so could, cool. yeah, potentially find a way to build embeddings that then lead to masks of corgis. And you could type the word corgi in uh, and it would use that as a prompt. Right now it uses sort of spatial prompts. So you, you click where you want to segment or you draw a box around it and it'll do its best to guess what it is that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I can see a, a version of this that takes text pretty soon and somebody's probably already built it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I heard on a podcast I was listening to this week that the, uh, it was the CEO of, and founder of RoboFlow saying that, yeah, within a month of this podcast coming out, there's going to be someone that's bashed together the models into a single one. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, you can think as well using this to augment image generation. Let's say I, I want a text to image of a corgi running through a field and it generates it and the background sucks. So you click on the corgi and it segments it out and you say, yeah, keep this bit, but maybe running on the beach. And it redraws the background as a beach, keeping the original mm. corgi in uh, in its current form. I can see these models getting glued together. And again, you know, this is what, this is again why I think foundation models need to be accessible beyond an API. Because if you just have simple access to I can send it an image and a location and it gives me back a mask or I can do text and it gives me back an image. Sometimes you can glue this stuff together, but I think the nuance gets lost and it gets a little bit harder. Uh, Stuff gets lost in translation, let's say. Yeah, so, and just on our three three points about foundation models, if we think about openness, so it's added about, it's added a cohort of about 11 million images with about 1.1 billion masks, which is a big, big whack of uh, Mm. data, like well-labeled data, uh, data set for this space. If we, if we, uh, it's obviously released all the weights and the code as well. Uh, Yeah, so the second one, the hackable, have you found, um, have you come across any already hacked, hacked applications of it so far i saw a few on hugging faces i was looking around but i couldn't really i can't really recall the specifics of it um i've seen a few on twitter um just pulling them up here one was using it to do uh neural radiance fields which is something we've talked about a little while ago so segmenting that out and getting a much better uh 3d generation i even saw a couple of medical applications where with very little adjustment uh, it was able mm. to perform sort of organ level segmentation from a CT scan, uh, which is yep. very very cool. 
Um, so I think this is sparking this sort of change already. Um, a few people using it for satellite data, for example. Uh, and yep. yeah, I think the fine-tuned version of this model for specific use cases is going to be really, really powerful. Absolutely. And our and our third piece was well, our third characteristic, which is the industry slash vertical agnostic as well. That's obviously ticking the box, says it in the name. But one interesting thing that this points as well to me is, and we'll get into it deeply in the in the future conversation, is obviously this is segmentation, which is a part of a general broader computer vision problem to some extent. Mm. And so, uh, we, we um, how do we how do you consider that with like. Uh, Obviously, it's industry agnostic, but it's not, uh, I'll say it's quite specific in its application, which is segmenting images. How do you see uh, those, how do you see that changing with models over time? Do, are we going to get more more and more specific applications? Yeah, I think different tasks will have their own foundation model. Um, so we have a task here of segmentation. We have a task of text to text generation, text to image generation, you know, and from the likes of GPT-4, Stable Diffusion. Um, and even in some cases, you could split those in half, which is text to an embedding, embedding to text, embedding to image. Um, so I think we're going to see both overarching models like this. You know, this model does make use of architectures from existing places. It, it uses an image embedding to do a lot of its segmentation. Um, but... Yeah, you can imagine one for audio. You can imagine one for time series data. All yeah. sorts of different things will have their own foundation model. I think the the requirement is that there's enough data out there to make a good model. You know, a billion segmentation masks is a lot. Uh, if you were to do this for, I don't know, drug interactions or results on you know, some bespoke vaccine or something like that, you may not have enough data to broadly yep. train one of these models. Yeah. But it's a great example of some hot some hot off the press foundation models. So I think we might switch gear now into the Amazon news this week, which is Amazon has announced Bedrock, its uh, ChatGPT and Dali rival, as well as some really interesting news and the way it relates to foundation models is that they've basically come out and said that they will be hosting a variety of new models via AWS. To some extent, you think with the names that they put up on this list that they will be hosting a few foundation models in the future as well. So and uh, from, their, from their press release here, Bedrock users can perform specific tasks by selecting from a range of machine learning models it calls foundation modules, such as uh, AI21's Jurassic 2, Anthropic's Claude, Stability AI, Stable, and Amazon Titan as well. So a few home brand ones there and a few external ones, but uh, really interesting play by by Amazon here. Yeah, I, look, I think it's smart. Um, I love that that. Uh, parallel to Amazon Basics. It's like, yeah, yeah, Amazon Basics image generation. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, especially if you're working in enterprise, if you're already on AWS, using an AWS service is going to be an order of magnitude easier than getting permission to spin up a new interaction with OpenAI. Uh, and having a marketplace on there of existing models and doing what they do really well, which is infrastructure, 
makes so much sense. They're sticking to their guns. They're creating an open place because you know, open AI is winning right now with GPT-4, frankly, but it won't always. They're, wi- they're winning some They're winning some race. Yeah. yeah, they won't always. Like they've got a head start. They haven't won the race. And I think, yeah. you know, give it 12 months, we're going to have half a dozen different, almost as good yep. text models. And Amazon has made a really smart move here by saying, whoever you are, come come play on our platform. They're not aiming yep. to win on the quality of their model. They're saying this is the place where models run. And I think Microsoft wanted to do that, but they might have tied themselves up too much with OpenAI to now backtrack and bring other models onto Azure. Yeah, absolutely. Like if we think about Amazon as well, right? Like they've just moved one step up the value chain, which is such a great such a great strategy when there's so many moving parts to this we know that and when you're and like you're in a world where you're trying to pick winners they've gone you know what? we're not going to pick a winner we're just going to happily sell to everyone and google and microsoft are now in this position as well microsoft probably more so from their aggressiveness with open ai but they're both in this position where it's like if you are out there creating your own independent ai company which has its own independent model are you really like is is Microsoft and Google going to be completely open to hosting a competitor to their big big investments here? Yeah. And like like obviously when you're small maybe you'll get some Azure credits and it's okay, but what Amazon has just said is like hey, we're a neutral third party. Come on through. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's a good move. Um and you know, that's not to say that Amazon's home-baked Amazon Basics AI is any worse i mean the by all accounts these models are really good but they're yeah. not putting so much of a fence around who can play on their platform and i think that is going to benefit them in the long run and i'd be surprised if i mean google's doing it to a certain extent um who was it that they partnered with was it anthropic yeah this was this is one thing here which i found funny which is anthropic is on aws maybe they're just pointing in some direction that way or or maybe anthropic's across both platforms but recently anthropic took investment from google in the form of google cloud credits Mm. to the order of like 300 million dollars or something like that we talked about it back on like episode 32 and it's yeah it's just i didn't expect to see anthropic on uh on amazon aws's list but yeah i i think for this to really work it's kind of the openness needs to go both ways you've got to say you can host your model here you can host your model anywhere it doesn't matter the reason that we're going to win on aws is because you're already here your data is already here and we have really good infrastructure and cloud is now back to just competing on cloud yeah yeah, is there anything you know that you know so far about these Amazon models or anything that you can comment Only on? Only at a really high level. Um, mm. I don't think there's anything too wild here from what I've seen. Yeah. They're just pre-trained models yeah. available for people to use in their applications. And to be honest, you know, I think for a lot of use cases, it'll be fine. Yeah, I think uh, the way to link this back is that AWS could be the independent host for foundation models that aren't uh, and true foundation models if we definitely consider that openness characteristic and yeah. yeah definitely um another bit of news i came across which i think doubles down on this need for openness is uh this post from a sub called the sequence 
uh, which you should check out. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, but the title of this edition, I don't know what post, uh, was The Llama Effect, How an Accidental Leak Sparked a Series of Impressive Open Source Alternatives to ChatGPT. Yeah. So we talked about um, Alpaca a while ago and it being sort of a fine-tuned version of Llama, trained very cheap, allowing you to hack and build your own model without needing a data center full of GPUs. Initially, that would have been a pretty tough thing to do, but some uh, people, don't know who they were, uh, put the put the Llama weights on BitTorrent and now the whole world has them. And... I don't. I mean, it wasn't intentional from Facebook. You had to apply for access to the weights originally, but because that's happened, you know, this article itself cites five different GPT type projects, uh, all doing different things. Some looking at fine-tuned to specific applications. Some being small that you can run on, you know, your desktop computer. Some of them being really specific around reinforcement learning uh, from human feedback. This stuff is only possible because this was open. If this was just yep. an API, people wouldn't be able to retrain these distilled models. They wouldn't be able to make the weird and wacky, wonderful versions that they want to make. Um, so, yes, it was an accident in this case, but it sets, I don't, it sets up a pretty clear example in my mind of why... I think it's so important that this is an open model, not an open API. This story as well, just it, it just like re there's this thought that's been bubbling in the back of my head is for the last couple of weeks is which is is open AI's lead as big and wide as it seems to be just from the amount of engagement they've had from users. And this is another little piece of information that is that the answer is no from a model performance mm. and capability point of view. It just has surprised me how quickly everyone has caught up to power, like pretty pretty similar performance and also the rate at which people have been able to reduce the load on it as well. Now, obviously, we don't know how accurate things is performed because pick your test. Yeah. In each situation here and you can make things look better or worse depending on which test you put but the fact that people are getting pretty equivalent performances for like significantly less compute or significantly less training time or significant or significantly less data from open source models to what microsoft has given 10 billion dollars for it just says to me that maybe open ai's lead in this space isn't as large as you think based off their user engagement yeah i would totally agree with that and you know it, this whole look into foundation models this week really got me thinking about is there an angle for open ai to build itself an apple-like brand in the ai space and what i mean by that is taking mobile phones as an example or laptops pick your poison if you look at Apple products versus Android, let's say, iPhone versus Android, yep. you can get some really good Android phones. But people think that you are shit if you don't have an iPhone in a lot of cases. Yeah. They, they've, they've built this like luxuriness about their brand 
that, you know, if you get a text message from somebody and it hasn't got that iMessage blue or whatever, people look at you yeah. funny. And I get the feeling, and I, I don't know what really sparked this, but I couldn't help but feel that OpenAI seems to be trying to create that within the world of AI in that if you're not running ChatGPT and DALI, yeah. sure, it's kind of good, but it's inferior. And if they can nail that, they have a real chance of building a moat that is not based on model performance. Yeah. I think that's really, really difficult. Yeah, they've gone and done the uh, literal equivalent of iPhone of capture the name in the consumer's mind, mm. right? So, like, you know how people call a smartphone an iPhone even though it's not an iPhone brand? Yeah. So they've done, people do that with GPT. They call it, what do they call it? The chat, like, you know, Auto GPT that was released this week, Chaos GPT. Like, obviously, GPT is an acronym that means, but obviously, everyone only associates that with OpenAI. Mm. Um, so, they've gone and done that. And the second thing as well is it feels like it's going to be that thing where like, you know, I've got a company phone, right? And it's an iPhone and they quote safety at me and something, but like really Apple's and, and I run Microsoft, right? It's like, that's just stock standard to do in the professional world. And it'll probably be stock standard to run open AI's models, but there'll be hackers on the side running other things and startups and smaller companies, scrappier companies will run other things and there'll be... Yeah. yeah, there'll be uh, cultural preferences like Mac versus PC for developers, etc. Yeah, and and I think, yeah, coming back to this Amazon play, I think it's going to come down to developer experience, and both at the sort of startup hacker level developer experience, and at the enterprise developer experience, uh, and whoever wins there, I think, is going to win. You might have a model that's not quite as good. I mean, look, look how many people use Microsoft Teams because yeah. it's just there. It's just part of the bundle. Yeah, it's like, as having used it now, it's like 20% inferior to Slack yeah. as well. But it's just there. It's what we use, and it gets the job done. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I think if you tried to go on some mission within your company to get everybody to switch to Slack, there would be it would be such an uphill battle for 20% improvement. Same way that yeah. if you've been building on Bedrock, on AWS, and somebody goes, yeah, but the open AI models, they're, they're better. Uphill battle. I'm, I'm almost Absolutely. certain. Yeah. Okay, well, that's some nice news slash current examples of foundation models and a little bit of broader commentary on that. Let's switch gears in and answer the question of this product which is our foundation models, the future of AI. Um, and I thought we could look at kind of three areas of where foundation models could exist. Um, the kind of first area that I thought of was what I've called anthropomorphism. Anth I literally practiced this before starting this episode. Anthropomorphous models. So that is replicating some form of human sensory or senses or action. So think computer vision, right? Like we're trying to replicate human eyesight there there's the generative models which is obviously uh, there obviously everyone knows what generative is now these days uh and then i've labeled it the non-anthropomorphous models um things that wouldn't we wouldn't really recognize as a human being or how we think um and those would be around the world of like thinking and science uh, like thinking from a compute point of view uh, and uh, how actual computation is done as well. So think matrix multiplication and things like that. 
So those are kind of three areas that I think we could talk about, and obviously if you've got any bonus ones as well to talk about. No, I think that's a good way to structure it. For those who aren't watching the video, Tom is just battling the light coming in from his window right now. <laughs> I don't even know whether my screen is working because it's so bright in here. <laughs> I think I'm getting sunburned through through glass. Very anyway. good. Um, yeah, look, I, yeah. I think that's a nice way to think about it and, and where this stuff is going. Um as we talked before, there's definitely certain tasks that I think AI is going to gobble up pretty quickly, and those are tasks that AI was doing uh, before. Sorry, that foundation models are going to gobble up pretty quickly, and that's you know segmentation and text generation and parsing text yep. and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think if we think of them as foundational to building products for the real world, they do need to undergo real world tasks. So yeah, I think vision, speech, and then maybe something, something physical around action as well. We yeah. don't talk about robotics that much in this show, but no. Oh, did you see the Google robots? Mm, this week? Sort of yeah, that was cool. That was really, really cool. cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think you're right. Like mimicking these sort of key, human real world behaviors is is going to be a important part of widespread foundation model adoption and i think those will be the first to fall as well because they have the most as you said the most applicable use case where it is hey we need to be able to identify license plates bang done computer vision problem great let's go after that hey we need to be able to uh, converse with our to-do list better or converse with Microsoft Teams or Cortana or whatever it's now going to be called in Microsoft's better. Like those are, they have use cases which mean they have money which mean they have people running after them especially when there's $20 million seed around flying around as we'll talk about in a second. Um, and so I think those are like the ones that are going to, we're already seeing it, right? And those are already starting to get past the general computer vision space as well, right? And they're starting to, as you said, get broken down into tasks. And this is, and I'll bring up where I think we might differ now a little bit on this is, and I'll pose it as a question rather than like my point of view, but do you think as well we will see foundational models in specific verticals? I know it violates one of your characteristics, but do you think we could end up with a foundation model in segmenting of medical images? I think as we were tossing around terminology before, I think that's that sort of level two. We might call them foundation models, I think they're likely to be based on other models that are more broadly trained. So we we might take SAM and fine-tune it to the medical application space. I think we're a long way from training just a version of SAM on only medical segmentation problems because it's not going to see the breadth of different cases. So, yeah, let's call those level two foundation models. They're going to exist for sure, and they're going to be really important. I just wonder if we need a different name for them. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Because I, I, I do see it going this way, right, where it's this step, step by step. It's a series. It's not this parallel development where we needed the found the foundational models. Today's foundational models will spur, will spur the level two models. Mm-hmm. And eventually those level two models, which were trained from the foundational models, will then become the foundational models for the level three models. And those foundational models will probably almost not disappear if you know what i mean but like it'll be like gpt3 is to gpt4 where and what gpt4 5 is apparently being done at the moment for that which is gpt4 is helping train gpt5 at some point it will be archived and bookshelved and 
put up put up on the shelf and retired but we wouldn't have got the next model down the chain without it and at some point if we like you know if the world blows up we'd have to go back and recreate them all right but like it's this series and i and i see this world where we're going to be foundational models will get less and less general and move more and more specific both over uh, both within the the vertical slash industry and also with the task as well so we'll go from segmenting and then in 10 years time we'll look back and we'll have segmenting for well you know could be 10 days of the rate we're moving at the moment but like segmenting for medical and then segmenting for medical will turn to segmenting for uh oncology and then segmenting for oncology will turn into a foundational model that's segmenting for uh you know uh, lymphatic cancers or something like that like it'll just keep going down but um we wouldn't have got there without the previous the prior foundational model yeah yeah look i th- i think you're right we're gonna see this sort of pyramid effect of getting smaller data sets training on top of you know bigger lower down the chain foundational models to get closer and closer to a product um sam makes for a good demo right now but if you wanted to use it for something very specific like counting yeah. cows in a field or whatever else you'd need to build on top of it yeah i'd feel uh, yeah and I feel like uh, I, I would sum it up as I feel like today's fine-tuned level two models will become tomorrow's foundational models for the next wave of development. Yeah, yeah. I think part of that needs to be about data set size. You know, we need th- – there's yeah. a 11 million images here, a billion segmentations. I am hopeful that one day we'll have that in medicine as an example, yeah. but I think you'd be really yeah. hard-pressed to get that today. Yeah, and I think I think this is the thing, right? Is we will like, you will get stopped from being able. You will the definition from fine tune to foundational. You like, obviously, it's a grey area and a moving and a moving target. But you end up at this world where you cannot progress beyond where you are because you hit run into a roadblock from a data and a like a data a, a data constraint essentially. And what might be interesting as well is that like we might physically hit a roadblock on some industries such as if we take Bloomberg GPT for, as example, right? Yep. They were like, they had some of the largest data sets in the world, but they ran into, they were like, yeah, we could probably do with some more data and they were like running out already. So like there will be some areas where we like hit a natural limit where it's like, we only have a million images of livers. Well, yeah. Not that that's, not yeah, that's yeah. true. No, but and like, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. And But I think, you know, if we if we bring this back to the thing about people and the way that people get trained to do stuff, you know, when we're young, going through school or, or even before that, yeah. you know, let's take vision for an example. We just get trained to just like recognize stuff. We want to recognize yep. the difference between a wall and not a wall so we don't run into the wall. And then, you know, we get more nuanced as we go, get older and, you know, some of us become radiologists and then we learn how to look at medical images. Um, I think an interesting challenge that we're yet to overcome is how do we make AI models as adaptable as people are. You could probably yeah. take a radiologist, train them for a little while in how to look at satellite images to spot cows yeah. or something let them do that for a while and then put them back behind a radiology screen and, you know, they'd pick that back up. I think still if you did that with a lot of AI models, they would just catastrophically fail on the way out and the way back in. Yeah, interesting, interesting. 
Let's uh, let's switch gear to uh, other future foundation like foundation models of like where do you think like we've we've talked about replicating humans mm. right and there'll be some around there and then on the generative side as well we've got image we've got video we've got audio to some extent as well we've got text as well and the generation of um, and then there's the multi the multimodal where it's anything to anything kind of models what about the things that we can't think like what are the like red herrings that are just going to come out of some random university not red herrings what are the like random things that are going to come out of research labs in universities where it's like oh i've been testing how what happens if i run an ai that's like solely designed for working on particle physics mm. yeah i look i think industrial processes trying to generate that maybe you know novel materials if we think about polymers yep. and how we synthesize a lot of materials these days, if we can yeah. come up with sort of novel ways to run yeah. some sort of CNC-like uh, chemistry setup, we could come up with new materials. Um, similarly, you know, we could synthesize DNA and put it inside yeah, exactly. cells and you know, turn us all into zombies probably. But I think that stuff is going to be wildly cool. They, I guess the more down-to-earth, accessible version of this is like, what if AI just starts making recipes? Like, tell me, <laughs> yeah. how, to, tell me how to bake the best cake or yeah, suggest yeah. some cocktails and do that sort of stuff. And it's, it's, it is text, but text is just the transmission medium of a sequence of activities that a human might then carry out and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, 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 the best example of what you're talking about there with like create new materials is like the real world example there is AlphaFold, yeah. right? Like that's that's where it's like we're asking it to think of things that we haven't thought of yet and imagine things. I think there's going to be some really cool stuff on like asking like how to improve uh, how to improve GPU computation for yeah, uh, and how to improve compute like how to make AI compute faster there could be some really interesting things as well around like how is the best way to interact with you as an agent uh, from a like physical code point of view as mm -hmm. well. Um, I wonder whether we'll live to see a like fully AI generated language that it uh, that is the best way to interact with it. That would be that would be cool. Mm. Yeah, that would be interesting. I yep. think like the stepping stone to that in my mind is definitely. Um like a programming language or something generated by Oh, AI. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, on this topic of new and interesting stuff, a couple of deals this week that we found that were yeah. foundational model adjacent. It's pretty hard to find specific foundational model deals, but uh, we got three here that are probably worth noting. Two cheeky seed rounds and then <laughs> one. Oh, heavens um but let's start with the seed rounds um yeah yeah let's start smallest and go yeah. biggest and we're starting smallest at 17 million down for a developer preview product love it so fixie ai well, i'm not sure if it's fixie.ai or fixie is a cloud-based platform for building hosting and scaling natural language agents that integrate with arbitrary tools data sources and apis they've raised a 17 million dollar seed round led by redpoint and Basically, you get your data and your API and you connect it to an, uh, any LLM, like anyone you choose, and then boom, you've got your own personal agent working on that data and API. So imagine someone downloaded all of our podcasts, turned it into a transcript, 
used Fixie and then uh, bang, done. They have an agent that replicates Tom and Elliot's thinkings on AI. We should do that. It's pretty cool. I, I like the idea. I mean, yeah. I, I'm still skeptical about some of these models. I think, like, they're good at interpolation. I'm not yet convinced that they're good at extrapolation in that, you know, if we told yeah. it to talk about a topic that we talked about or touched on or something around the periphery, I'm sure it would do fine. If we asked yeah. it to talk about surfing, it would probably just implode even though both you and I yeah. could talk about surfing. But I also I also wonder as well, like how much bias you might have connected to your data set, right? And you might be asking it specific questions which you have a specific opinion on. Yeah. But it, you've only got one or two examples of that specific opinion. When's it going to dilute itself and not bring in your opinion and bring in whatever agent that you, LLM, that it's hooked up to in the background? Like when are you going to, if you ask Elliot's opinion on, uh, let's, what's something you you don't like? Let's Elliot's opinion on uh, what's it called? Uh, prompt engineering. <laughs> you might not have spoken enough about it, and before you know it, it's picked up every thread boy on Twitter's love of yeah. prompt engineering, and says Elliot loves prompt. Prompt engineering. engineers get paid three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I can see a lot of good uses for this. You know, like you can yeah. imagine the hotel concierge being replaced by an agent like this so that if you don't have yeah. a concierge that speaks every language under the sun, you've got somebody there that yeah. can that can help out. I see a lot of cool stuff around that, a lot of local knowledge and, and personalized experience or on-site training for industrial applications. It's cool. Yeah. I can see a ton of uses. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I think when there's guardrails up around that, it's like, look, we're using this just to do site inductions for stuff that's fine like it's never gonna go rogue enough that it matters i would love this at work and if anyone wants to build it um i'd love to use it and suggest it uh for our company of like hey what what have we done in the past on this piece of work or this topic or something mm. like that like and who did it that would be and like you know find the document for me i would yeah. love that yeah definitely um yeah it makes a lot of sense I imagine you guys collect so much material over the years. And, and yeah. I think it also can help in this case get rid of some bias. If you looked at a oh. generative AI deal four years ago, your notes might be like, this is garbage. There is no applications for this. And if you just said, yeah, if you have an internal bias of like, yeah, we looked at this as crap and yeah. missed the shift in the industry, obviously this one's slapping everybody in the face. But yeah. you can imagine, you know, forgetting why you said no in the first place i've been doing a lot of thinking about this of like how am i going to use ai or when's ai going to take my job in investing um i got some good thoughts on this we should maybe dig into this and do an episode on when's ai going to take our individual jobs um and like where it's going to help us in the beginning and one of and like i see there's like four stages for my taking my job and the four stages like helping to actually evaluate investment decisions mm -hmm provide recommendations and ultimately remove biases from the presenting team because the way we work is someone comes up with the idea. Someone works on the investment and presents it to the rest of the team. If I present my biases, the team will probably end up accepting my biases unless they can figure out what they are. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting okay. one. I can see both like the interrogative AI helping out there, trying to dig into some stuff, yeah. and also the generative application. So there's this idea in software development called uh, mutation testing when you want to test your code 
And what it does is it takes your existing code and like tweaks it in various ways. Uh, and if yeah. the tests that you wrote still pass in all cases, it raises a bit of a red flag. It says like, well, I just yep. changed the multiply signs in your whole code base to divides and nothing broke. I really don't think you have checked yeah. how robust your assumptions are here. And you can imagine, you know, taking a deck, an, an investment deck or an investment memo, yeah. and running that through some sort of AI and say, hey, can you generate half a dozen different variants of this that maintain yeah. these, you know, key assumptions, key things that don't oh. change, but tweak the language, tweak the visuals, tweak the, you know, yep. founders' backgrounds and things like that. And get the team to review a bunch of those yeah. and find out which common threads get through and which ones don't. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and send send the like and randomly assign everyone member in the team the like super optimistic and the super pessimistic versions. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and help, cool. help sort of work out what those threads are that lead to people saying no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just imagining as well this AI where it's like scary boss mode when you're like <laughs> super interrogate your work or like chilled out boss mode. Yeah, 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 100%. Or, you know, I mean, a much more ridiculous one on this same note, but probably more applicable to the general audience is you could imagine, I don't know what the the key dating apps are these days. I'll just say Tinder. This is not my world. But yeah. you can imagine like Tinder creating like 50 hundred a thousand synthetic profiles when you first sign up just to work out what you say yes to to then yeah. try and work out how to serve up other people who are real for you to then say yes to yeah. isn't this like a black mirror episode i don't know probably everything's a black yeah, mirror yeah there's one where it's, it's like Simpsons. you sign up for it you sign up the dating apps just turn into a there's a 99.9 percent .9 chance this is your like love of your life oh Once. i feel like there's a whole show about that it's a Black Mirror episode, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, maybe. I haven't watched it, but... Yeah, anyway. Anyway, plenty of applications like that, um, which I don't think is Elliot's, where this... Elliot's, Elliot's happily married, but he's happy to be a, a tester. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know if that's where Fixie.ai is going. Yeah, well, we, uh, we took <laughs> we a detour did, there. We did. All right, let's pull us back. Chroma, $18 million yeah. round. Tell me more. Yep, they just picked uh, picked Fixie uh, and they beat him by a million bucks. Uh, they've led by Quiet Capital. They added Naval Ravikant and some of the founders are hugging face and Jasper to the board. So good to see Jasper's already taking some secondary money off the table there. Um, and uh, yeah, seems to still be in development, which seems to be the theme of $18 million seed rounds at the moment. But um, uh, anyway... Uh, so Chroma is the AI native open source embeddings database. Using embeddings, Chroma lets developers add state memory to the AI-enabled applications. And this is where I throw over to Elliot to explain that. This feels like a bit of marketing mumbo-jumbo in amongst uh, some AI terms in my mind. So, look, embeddings... We've talked about these before. You can take an image, you can generate an embedding. You can take text, generate an embedding. And it's sort of a underneath the scene or underneath the scenes, underneath the hood way of representing data within an AI model. Uh, if yeah. there's an open source embeddings database, you may be able to write these embeddings, read them back and have your AI application, I guess, query that database as it, as it goes. 
Um, so you might yep. embed all of the investment memos that have ever come through the company in this database as a pre-ingested format. And then when a new investment memo comes through, you query the database for all the embeddings and do your magic AI yep. on top of them there. It's an infrastructure play. Sounds like a useful tool, potentially. 20 million bucks and no product. Yeah, I don't know. Best of luck to yeah. him. I feel like there's so much moving parts in this place at the moment, in this space at the moment, where it's like this could end up being like that weird niche infrastructure yeah. play that no, or like data data slash infrastructure play that no one really understood, but is suddenly worth $10 billion in five years' time. Or OpenAI could do one push and the business model's done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd, I'd want to know a lot more about the tech here and why. Yeah, I mean, a lot of embeddings are just like sequences of numbers at the end of the day, and we when you can throw them in as text or some other binary format. Yeah. We have databases that are very good at storing fuck tons of data. It's not like Facebook doesn't use a database for the million yeah. posts and images on there. I'd yeah. want to know why these. It's yeah, different. why this is so different? Okay, and the final one, which is probably the most related to uh, foundation models. Um, is Anthropic plans to raise $5 billion to take on OpenAI. $5 billion over the next few years. It's like a four-year plan, uh, and they want to train the largest model ever off it. Um, yeah, someone leaked their pitch deck, pitch deck for their Series C. Uh, had a New Zealand accent there for a second. Um, uh, their pitch deck for their Series C, and it kind of details a bunch of things. And it, there wasn't too much of value. There wasn't too much that I could gain from it, but I'm going to try and find that pitch deck. Juicy goss. Basically, the price of a foundation model is $5 billion if you want if you want to, build, if you want to buy one. $5 billion is such a lot of money. I would just love to see what they wanted to raise if OpenAI didn't exist like, and hadn't raised huge amounts. Like, are they? How, how much are they imp- scaled by like, well, OpenAI has raised this amount. We, we need to be this cashed up to be able to compete. Yeah, yeah. That's... That's crazy. Like, just to get a yeah, 1x big. return on <laughs> revenue from that, like free cash flow, is going to take a really long time, I imagine. $5 billion, you know? Yeah. At, at one cent an API call, that's a whole lot of API calls that you're going to make. I, um, yeah. I mean, look, I'm all for big, ambitious visions. I love it. But uh, in the market today, yeah. like, I can't help but think that a lot of these two years ago would have had a decimal point shifted, you know? Nobody was yeah. raising $20 million for something, something database AI um, yeah. before it became the new hotness. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, look, again, that's the way of the world. Like, these these trends come and go. Some of them are more vaporware than others, you know? Web3, that just disappeared overnight. I think AI's got... Web what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think AI's got more legs. You and I have been doing stuff in AI for, you know, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, so it's less, I don't know, less hype uh, in general, but I think definitely there is a bit of yeah. a bit of hype in the market, overpricing yeah. a lot of these rounds. Well, mate, shall we call it there? We've done a lot today. We have. We have three papers, but it does say I did not read these and I didn't even see them to write. I did not read these, so but not release them. Maybe we'll talk about them next week. Who knows? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you enjoyed the new consolidated format, dear listener, and uh, I think it made our job a little easier and a little bit more structured. Yeah. So uh, we'll be sticking to it at least for the next little while. Um, but if you made it this far, thank you for sticking around. Thanks for, for listening. Uh, and let's leave it there. We will see you roughly same time next week, assuming we remember to record. Thanks again, friends. Do all the good stuff and hit us up on Discord. That's the best place to come talk to us, drop some links, uh, join our growing community of AI enthusiasts. Uh, And until next week, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you're liking this content, make sure you subscribe and like so we keep on going. And if you have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, join our Discord, or leave them in the comments below. Thanks again. Thanks again.